Hello and welcome to the Ask the Expert podcast series at the Royal Geographical Society with Institute of British Geographers. I'm Laura and I write resources for the education department here. This recording is part of our growing series of interviews, questions and answers from leading geographical experts and practitioners. Today I'm joined by Professor Andy Tatum from the Geography Department at the University of Southampton. Andy is Director of the World Pop Project that focuses on high-resolution global mapping of population distributions and more recently has become part of the Malaria Atlas Project hosted at the University of Oxford. Andy, welcome. Thank you. So, I guess just to kick off, can you tell me a bit more about the World Pop Project and what that entails? Um, so, knowing where people are, uh, how many people there are in an area, um, their age distributions, something about uh, the levels of poverty, levels of income, and how that changes over time, um, is pretty fundamental for a whole range of applications. If you think about how much vaccination uh, vaccine you might need to, to cover an area, um, we think about planning and elections, um, how much, uh, where to put health facilities, where to um, put uh, water uh, points to, to cover the population. Um, and in many uh, low and middle income countries, the data on this is can be sparse, it can be outdated, it can be unreliable. Um, so we work with um, governments, with uh, ministries of health um, to assemble what data exists on population distributions, um, to integrate those data sets with other more recent, uh, more flexible types of data from things like satellite, from household surveys, um, and use those in a, in a geographical framework to, to map out where populations are, how they change, um, who those populations are in, in low and middle income countries, um, and then make those data freely available um, with, with clear methods uh, and documentation. Excellent. So how did the project, how did you develop the project then? Did it stem from your research? So it stemmed from working uh, firstly in, in mapping diseases. So we put a, a lot of effort into producing maps of things like uh, the prevalence of malaria um, and wanted to then uh, overlay those maps onto maps of numbers of people to work out how many people were at risk of uh, malaria and other diseases. Uh, we realized that the, the data were quite outdated. Uh, they were quite coarse resolution. Um, so we started uh, assembling our own population data sets, uh, firstly for Kenya, then for East Africa, then the whole of Africa, and, and now we've expanded to, to across all low and middle income countries of the world. So can you tell me a little bit what high resolution means then? Can you ex expand on that a little bit more compared to coarse resolution? Um, so if we think in the, uh, the context of the UK um, at, a, at a national level, maybe we know that there's 65, 70 million people living in the UK, um, but we could, you can break that down by, by uh, county, by town, by individual ward level. And so going finer and finer uh, levels of spatial detail uh, gives us higher and higher resolution. And, and our aim in the World Pop project is to be able to map for each 100 by 100 meter grid cell on the ground, uh, estimates of number of people, how they change, how those population numbers change, their age structures. Um, so that's that's what we mean by high resolution, and it enables us really then to understand the the heterogeneities that exist uh, and better target res limited resources. So globally, human population is growing by over 80 million a year, and it's projected to reach the 10 million mark within 50 years. And um, 
But are there regions that you're focusing on with the World Pop Project in particular, and why might this be? Um, so we are focused mostly on, on low and middle income countries. Um, in, in high income countries, um, like here we are in the UK, we have uh, the Office of National Statistics, uh, which are relatively well resourced. There's uh, a lot of data being collected. There are, there are a lot of skilled people dealing with that data. There are registries of births and deaths that are quite reliable. Um, whereas in some of the poorest countries in the world, um, there perhaps hasn't even been a national census for uh, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, there are no registries of births or deaths. Um, so there's, there's a, a real drought in terms of data on populations. Um, so th those are the regions where we, we work with the ministries of health, with statistics agencies and uh, national offices. Um, and those are the regions also where populations are, are changing the fastest. Uh, there are uh, higher growth rates, there's uh, large movements of populations. Um, so there's a, there's a real demand there, I think, uh, and a need for, for better population data. So the maps then produced by World Pop, are they used by these countries or are they used by different regions? Who Who is the, the audience for the World Pop? Um, so we, firstly, we, we try and partner with uh, governments themselves, um, with agencies who are working in the countries, so UN agencies, uh, and we have partnerships set up in a, in a number of low-income countries um, so that we can work closely with, with governments and with agencies who, are, who need these kind of data and are, and are using them on the ground. Um, by making the data sets freely available on our, uh, on our WorldPOP website, we can also understand and see uh, and get feedback on, on who is using the data. And it, and it always amazes us as to how many and the breadth of organizations that are using these kind of data. And it can, it can range from the governments to UN agencies to private companies, uh, uh, accountancy firms, uh, insurance companies, logging or oil companies, um, university professors and, and schools as well. So the Sustainable Development Goals are designed with an increasing focus on the kind of the sub-national measurements of progress, so kind of getting at the nitty-gritty rather than, you know, taking countries as a whole and, and paying attention to those nuances. Um, how can mapping poverty help to analyse this disparities and distribution of poverty at these various levels, as you've said, with the resolutions? Um, so I think I mean, over the last 15 to 20 years, we've seen a, a really good news story in terms of poverty declining nearly everywhere in the, in the world. Um, and that has previously been measured at national scales. Um, and that, uh, that gives some indication of, of declining poverty. It gives some indication of where we should be targeting resources. Um, but it doesn't really represent the, the heterogeneity that exists. So there may be declining poverty in, in the main city where half the population lives um, and uh, if you measure that at a national scale you, you get information that poverty is declining but populations in rural areas may be missed. Um, so the sustainable development goals have an aim to leave no one behind and a, and a sub-national focus to make sure that all populations are, uh, across the country are reducing their levels of poverty and that means needing a very strong evidence base to be able to monitor those changes and map progress. And this is where being able to, to map at greater detail population distributions and their characteristics in terms of levels of poverty uh, is really important to be able to not only track that poverty is declining, um, but be able to use limited resources to, to target those to those, those most in need. So 
How can de-identified data from mobile operators be used to follow kind of population displacement and provide assistance in these areas that we've just discussed, um, you know, in kind of instances such as natural disasters? So uh, within WorldPop, we, we do a lot of work with um, satellite data, with census data and survey data to give us uh, a kind of baseline map of population distributions. But those distributions can change rapidly. Um, an, an earthquake can cause huge displacements, floods, uh, cyclones, um, all of which mean big changes rapidly and very, very chaotic changes. Um, and those kind of movements can't be captured by the, the normal kind of data. It's a chaotic situation. You can't go and do a census at that time. Um, so this is where mobile phone data can, can really come in. And every time you use your mobile phone uh, or receive a message or send a message, um, you leave a kind of digital trace that the mobile companies um, record. And they record that anonymously. It's, it's sensitive. It's confidential data. But it is valuable data in terms of uh, if I received a call at right now, it would give you information that I was within the radius of the nearest mobile phone tower. If I then moved across the street, uh, made, a, made a call or received another call, um, I would, the evidence that I'd moved to a, to a new location, that call would be routed through a, a different mobile phone tower. So now that uh, low-income countries, we have 80, 90% of the populations owning and using mobile phones, it's suddenly uh, data on millions of people across those countries. Uh, and when a disaster strikes, uh, people are still making and using their, their phones, uh, making calls. Uh, and so that gives those digital traces of how those people have been displaced, where they're moving to. And it's often the, the just people who are displaced are the most vulnerable and in need of aid. Uh, and so we can use these data to map where people have uh, been displaced to. We can give that information to responding agencies um, who can then target their efforts. Do you have any instances or case studies where, where this has been used in any recent natural disasters? Or So last year um, the uh, Nepal earthquake occurred, this is 2015, um, and we were able to set up uh, the processing of mobile phone data from a major operator in Nepal um, within two days of the, the earthquake and process that data to firstly understand uh, movement patterns before the earthquake, um, then process the data to look at how people were moving after the earthquake and look at the unusual movements, those, those displacements. Um, and we were able to see huge numbers of people, for instance, leaving the Kathmandu Valley um, and heading south and heading um, across into the southern areas, across the border into India. Um, and we produced these ongoing reports that were then distributed to, to UN agencies, to other response agencies, um, to, to target their efforts. So Andy, you're also working on the Malaria Atlas project, which aims to produce comprehensive range of maps and estimates to support the planning of malaria control at national and international scales. Can you tell me a little bit more about the collaboration behind this? Uh, sure. So we nowadays um, across the world have a range of tools um, to tackle malaria, um, uh, but we also still have limited resources. Um, so uh, it's pretty important for us to understand uh, where to target those limited resources. Um, and malaria is not a, a uniform risk of, a, of catching that disease. Um, some populations have a much higher risk of getting malaria than others. Um, and therefore, to be able to understand uh, where that risk is, where the higher risks are, and be able to target 
resources by giving people access to uh, the right drugs, um, giving people bed nets to sleep under, um, insecticide spraying of, of walls of their houses um, enables us to tack it, tackle those, the disease much more effectively. So the Malaria Atlas project um, gathers data, um, survey data on uh, malaria prevalence, so the amount of malaria in a, in a community, and then uh, brings thousands of these surveys together to produce global maps of malaria risk, which then enable um, the targeting and are then linked with WILPOP data to uh, produce estimates of the number of people at risk. And what sort of story are the maps telling at the moment then in terms of current malaria interventions and kind of the reduced incidence of malaria? Um, the maps are telling a very good story. Um, in the last 15 years, we've seen huge declines in uh, the amount of malaria, the uh, number of cases, uh, the number of deaths, um, uh, and that the interventions such as uh, billions have been put into malaria control over the last 15 years um, into things like um, giving everybody a bed net to sleep under at night. Uh, and those interventions are working. We're seeing big declines over the last 15 years. Uh, we're seeing many countries considering uh, and moving towards eliminating the disease completely. Um, so, for instance, last year Sri Lanka was um, confirmed to have eliminated malaria. Uh, and there are many other countries that are, that are close to doing that. So uh, these, these maps give us a way of uh, firstly showing that that decline is, is occurring and it's occurring because of interventions, um, but also measuring uh, progress towards that uh, and tracking where interventions and what types of interventions might be needed next. Andy, could you tell me a little bit about your geographical background and your research and how this has helped you develop your interest in data? Sure, so um, I did a, a geography A-level. Um, I then went to University of Southampton, did an environmental sciences degree where I focused a lot on satellite imagery and geographical information systems. Uh, I followed this up with a, a PhD in, in the geography department, um, mapping uh, land use using satellite imagery, um, and then moved into the, the, the tropical medicine realm um, where we were starting to do the first large area maps of disease risk. Um, and. Uh, needed to produce population maps as well to underlay those those disease risks maps and, uh, and produce estimates of the, the numbers of people at risk of different diseases. Um, so uh, through through all of that, I kind of realised that geography was was very important. So could you tell me a little about the types of data that you work with um, in the World Pop project and your various other projects? Um, is it open data, closed data, and kind of what are some of the management issues around that data? So we work with a range of different data sets. So the, the World Pop project that I lead, the focus is very much on integrating different types of data, some of which are free and open, so uh, increasingly satellite imagery, um, and the derived products from that on things like maps of land cover, of maps of urban areas are, are freely available. Um, and then we go down the, the kind of gradation of uh, less and less open data. So things like household survey data, which has personal identifiers in it, um, we have to be more careful with. Um, and especially with data such as mobile phone records, uh, which are, are very sensitive. Although they are anonymous data, they can be sensitive, confidential data. So there we have to be, again, very careful. But we integrate all of those together um, within a, a geographical modeling framework to produce population maps, um, population characteristic maps, population mobility maps, uh, which we then make freely available. 
um, uh, on the, the WorldPOP website. So I guess broadly, how can geographical data be used to improve the lives of others? Um, so geographical data um, enables us to move beyond just um, uh, summary statistics at a national level or a provincial level. Um, it enables us to identify hotspots uh, of areas that, that may be um, higher levels of poverty that we've, that we've not seen before if we are just looking at the national level. Um, it, uh, it also um, enables us to uh, understand how those, those factors are, are changing. So the mobile phone data in particular is a source of data um, that uh, is a constant stream of, of really digital traces of how people are, uh, when people are making mobile phone communications, when they're receiving communications and where those communications are taking place. So it gives us a way, although anonymously, it gives us a way of, of tracking population uh, density changes, of tracking flows of people. Um, and in the context of disaster situations, that can be incredibly important. Um, uh, an earthquake that strikes or a flood that occurs, is, it's a very chaotic situation after that. And there's really no good data that's collected on the ground uh, at that time. It can be very difficult. So these kind of data can give us a, a feed, an idea of where people are being displaced to, where the most vulnerable are, are in need of uh, attention, where resources should be sent. So for geographers developing their data skills in schools, do you have any top tips from your research and geographical background? Um, so f for me, I mean, nowadays, there's, uh, it's quite overwhelming the amount of geographical data that is, that is available freely on the web um, uh, through a, a range of sources. Um, and it's, it's because of this, uh, the, its quality can vary. Um, as, an, as an example, um, there are multiple sources of the world data on the world's coastlines of country borders. And if you download all of those different data sets and overlay them, they can be very different and they can be of varying quality. So I think the, the important thing is to uh, undertake some kind of review and understanding of where those data sources come from, how they were put together uh, before using them so that you really understand um, where problems could arise in, in any future analyses in any presentation of that data. Um, and then when, when you do use that data to properly uh, cite the source so, so that people understand where that data has come from, what you've, what you've done with it um, when you're displaying it, and then be very clear in, in methods of how you've presented that data. So it's not just um, a, a map that's produced without any kind of source or any kind of understanding for a, for a reader on where that, where that data came from. So thanks for that, Andy. Um, I'm just wondering if you can tell me where we might find more information um, and for students to access your work. Yes, the, uh, we describe a lot of our work on the uh, WorldPOP project website, so worldpop.org, um, where you can download all the data that we produce. Um, there's a data explorer to go and uh, just visualize some of the data. Um, you can also uh, follow the project on, on Twitter at WorldPOP project. Um, I also uh, co-direct the Flowminder Foundation, where we work a lot with mobile phone data. Uh, and there you can, you can go to flowminder.org to, to find out more information. Thank you for listening. For access to further resources, publications and curriculum relevant material to support geographical learning and teaching, please go to www.rgs.org 
forward slash resources.